Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Trading Bitcoin with your host, Tone Vase. Uh, sorry about this morning. The live stream quality was not very good. The audio quality was not very good either. I uh, did the best I could. I might record it all locally tomorrow and then get it up afterwards. But I, I, I think there is um, you know, a lot of good that happens when you watch something live because you get that side troll box to talk about it. Even though I have slow mode on, it still like helps. Uh, but I did want to bring a show. Uh, Bitcoin has not done uh, much interesting in the last 24 hours. I will cover it briefly, but I really, uh, I glanced at the stock market this afternoon for about 10 seconds uh, because as you guys know, my stream this morning uh, lasted for a good four or five hours that we, we kept doing that. And um, let's just go and take a look at the markets. And of course, I am being joined by Tyler Jenks. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Tone, how are you doing? I, I got to listen to most of that this morning. It was uh, really interesting whenever you could get a word in edgewise, but uh, you covered a lot of ground. Uh, glad to be here with you today. A lot going on in the stock market. It's trying to get through 2,600 on the S&P, so we'll take a look at that. All right. Yeah, let's go to screen share. But yeah, Ernie and I have been arguing over this since the Bitcoin XT days of like 2015. Uh, prior to 2015, we were always on the same page. Uh, but ever since, you know, the Mike Hearn and Gavin Andreessen Bitcoin XT, uh, it's kind of been a battle. And it's a frustrating battle because, uh, like, I'm not financially incentivized uh, to convince people about Bitcoin, but everybody else is financially incentivized to convince them out of Bitcoin. And it's, it's a really tough argument to just, like, keep going through it and, I understand why a lot of people just say, you know what, screw it. Let them learn the lesson the hard way. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. And uh, I think they're about to uh, learn that lesson. If you and I are correct, and I think we are, uh, we've got another big leg down in uh, Bitcoin. And if that occurs, uh, we're going to see a 2x drop in all the other altcoins. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, let's um, uh, let, let's just do a quick update on the unconfiscatable conference. Uh, well, that's it. We are sold out. The poker game's done. We have uh, we have a hundred players. Yeah, and... congratulations! Terrific. Thank you. Yeah, I I mean I I hope that it's a hundred players and we didn't accidentally register a hundred and one because then we got a problem because you really can't just add an extra table, right? I mean this is uh, <laughs> this is a pretty organized event. And uh, the carnivory dinner is completely like both of these things now have a wait list. Uh, poker already has a wait list. Uh, carnivory dinner already has a wait list. Uh, the conference, we're still good. Still got a bunch of seats at the conference. So go ahead. Uh, shout out to Slush for uh, buying a few VIP tickets as a, uh, I, I mean, we might as well call it a sponsor considering that. Uh, so we've added Slush as a. In our, in our partners page, along with Open Dime, Cryptomatic, Hodel Hats, um, and Cold Cards. Uh, so thank you guys for uh, supporting. All right, um, man, I don't, I don't promote my stuff anymore, almost at all. So uh, the workshops, uh, Vegas, of course, it's going to be a little more advanced. So those that are signed up for Vegas, Paris, and London, probably this Saturday, I'm going to do another a private webinar stream. Uh, I mean, I'll be a little freer, Tyler. I'll send, I'll send you the link. I'll send Leah the link. 
if you guys want to hang out in there, uh, that'd be great. That's probably going to happen Saturday morning. I'll, I'll think about it tonight, and I'll know for sure tomorrow to give people a heads up. It's going to be about three hours long, approximately. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and do that because I don't want to teach what is a candlestick anymore in person. I want people to just do it online, do the basic stuff online. I want to teach more advanced stuff. Uh, in the future, we'll, 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 we'll see what happens. And um, yeah, those that are interested in just the indicator can click on the indicator page. And of course, if you want to support my work, uh, please check out the affiliates page. Uh, clearly, uh, BitMax and some of the other stuff is no longer here, uh, but uh, you can still support my work by signing up for TradingView or a VPN service um, or just do your shopping on Amazon. Uh, we'll support my work. My Patreon page and hopefully a Bitcoin equivalent of Patreon is coming. I just haven't had the time to learn how to use Patreon yet. I mean, again, it's all about time. Um, all right, let's, um, you know what, what I was going to do today? I was going to, I'm tired of having this tab. I was going to put some TA on market cap, on total market cap, on, um, I really want to put some TA. I want to take a look at uh, the total market cap dominance percentage and see if I can put some TA on that and see if I can predict potentially when uh, technical analysis is giving me something useful in uh, predicting of when uh, Bitcoin can finally separate from this nonsense and regain its dominance. I wanna see if the uh, technical analysis looks different on total market cap versus market cap excluding Bitcoin. I think there are some interesting things that could be done there. Maybe I can do a ratio between the two and maybe there's something that's gonna come out there. But I guess doing a ratio is the same thing as, uh, as this guy here, uh, the percentage, because that's what a ratio would give me. So that's no real reason to do that. But I wanna play around with these charts and see if anything sticks, possibly nothing. Um, all right, um, let's, um, here's the monthly chart. We can glance at that real quick. And uh, the monthly chart, I mean, I, it's unfortunate to see yet another red candle. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that. Let me look at the oscillators first, right? So here's the RSI. We just started a brand new month. So maybe I, I wonder what the low of the RSI is. Um, oh, I'm not displaying high, low, close. But um, let me grab, I mean, this line is no longer relevant because we broke it and we back tested it. So I can move this line down and we can see how the RSI has come and made a double bottom. As you guys know, I don't like double bottoms. Now you can also say, hey, Tone, the RSI reached a double top right there. That's true, but it didn't have much else to go, right? I mean, you were almost at 100. You were at the 90, uh, you were at the 96 percentile, right? So there's nowhere else to go. But here, you're only at 44. So you got plenty of room to go. Uh, so I think this time the RSI is gonna go lower. And if the RSI breaks below this red line, I do believe that we can hit an oversold condition on a monthly for the first time in Bitcoin's history. Um, your thoughts on the RSI, Tyler? I agree completely uh, that this is not going to hold. I don't know when it's going to break. It might bounce up off here like it did uh, back in 2015. It bounced off of it about three times. This is really our first time down at this level. But um, 
when you get these peaks up over 70, when you get them over 80, when you get them over 90, that's telling a very important story that something very big is going on. And eventually you're going to pay for that at the other end. So I'm fully looking forward to drop down to 30 and probably down to 25 before we see capitulation. And that's a long ways away. And we are talking monthly charts. Now here is the MACD. And as you can see, the MACD is like, has zero signs of slowing down. Like your histogram just gave you your lowest reading. So until, I mean, it, it all comes in stages. First, the histogram has to get closer because the distance between the two gets narrower. Then eventually they cross. And guess what? Um, just like the RSI never went into uncharted territory of negative values, the, uh, the MACD very briefly went into the, in, into the sub-zero range, but not at the same time. Notice how when uh, actually well, the signal line is the blue line and then you have the MACD line. So when the main MACD line, the orange line, when that line finally very briefly went below, went sub-zero, the signal line already went over it into positive territory. So the MACD in its, uh, the, com the combined, the, the full MACD never went sub-zero and that is also uncharted territory. Now we are very far away from the MACD going sub-zero, but it feels like it will this time. Thoughts, Tyler? Yeah, I don't see how it cannot. Um, well, obviously anything can happen, but when you get the histograms getting larger and larger, notice that back in 2015, what happened at that bottom is the histograms were getting smaller as we got close to that zero line. Uh, they were getting narrower and narrower. They had already hit their bottom. And then uh, finally they crossed over and that was the beginning of the upsurge. This time, just the opposite is happening now. The histograms are growing with each month that passes. And that's another reason I think that any temporary bounce that we get in price um, is going to quickly run into tremendous resistance no matter where it is. Once we got below 6,000, then anything below 6,000 becomes very suspect, uh, regardless of what had occurred previously in terms of support during the upswing. And um, we'll see, maybe this little pop we've had the last couple of days can get going, but it's even fading right now, which is what I would expect. I think once you're well below 4,000, it's gonna be hard to overtake 4,000. Once we get below 3,000, it's gonna be hard to overtake 3,000. And I believe the same thing is gonna be true at 2,500 and 2,000 until we finally get to where we're going. Now, here's the thing. The MACD crossover to the bullish side took place the month of November. 
we were already in a bull market by November of 2015. Yeah. Uh, just slightly in the, into the bull market because the lows were made in January of that year. The ultimate low was made back in January and the secondary low was made in August. So by November going into December, we were already in the bull phase. And um, um, yeah, so you have to keep that in mind. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. The other thing is it's, the MACD is very much a lagging indicator, particularly when you go from daily to weekly and weekly to monthly. Out at the monthly level, when the histogram, it's a very smooth curve when you're going from a bull to a bear market. And as long as the histograms are getting bigger and bigger, then that means you're nowhere near uh, the turning point. You, you, you get plenty of notice when the two lines start coming together that something is up and you better pay attention. But you don't get whipsawed using very long-term histograms. It's a very smooth curve. Right now, it's pointing down. Yeah, and right now, because of the current candle and not being able to break out to the upside, I have this feeling that we might just get stuck here. We might get stuck between the blue moving average and the fast declining seven-month moving average um, as this thing comes to a point, allowing time for the 30-month moving average to roll over. Yeah, uh, I'm afraid I agree with that. And the reason that's him important is because that's just going to mean this bear market's going to last a lot longer than it needs to. And the longer it takes, um, the more difficult it is going to be for everyone to play. Those that are playing the alts and the other cryptos are going to get whipsawed over and over again. And those of us that are waiting for the ultimate bottom on Bitcoin, means that we've got months and months to go uh, before we get to where we're going to go. Yeah, one of the, one of the things I've been, I've been like counterplay, I guess we're gonna stick to the long, we're not gonna talk much about the short term, is that I really think that last bear market had some anomalies. Like it's so not normal to have the big capitulation and then nine months of stagnation. And remember, nine months in Bitcoin is like three years in other markets. Right. So we had the giant crash, then nine months of stagnation, then another crash. This index, right? Uh, to be honest with you guys, this index is not doing justice to how bad the August crash was. I remember that. It, it, like the, the index only has it going down to 200. I remember multiple exchanges legitimately went down to 160, 150. So I'm not sure what exchange is holding up the price here, but um, I remember that it was clearly worse. And I keep thinking of, it's not gonna be the same this time because it can't, things can't be exactly the same. We, the current bear market has been too similar, like scary similar to the last bear market of Bitcoin. And it has to deviate from that somehow. And one of the ways it can actually deviate is to give us this stagnation and then capitulation 
and, but, but this time around, not give us a secondary low. So uh, it's possible that this time around, we get the stagnation first, then the big drop capitulation at the end, and then immediate slingshot reversal to the upside that no one believes in. Yeah, that's an interesting thought um, because the thing that I need to have happen is I, I need all of the other projects or 98% of them to disappear if Bitcoin is going to have a V bottom. I don't think it can have a V bottom if we've got 2,000 alternative products or 3,000 or 4,000. And so the question in my mind has been, what would a bottom look like that would allow for that? And one possible solution would be just an unbelievable capitulation right here, right now, where you basically cut through 3,000 without looking back. You find no support. You cut through what everybody believes is going to be the ultimate bottom, which is somewhere between 2200 and 2750 when I look at everybody's opinions. Now, most of those opinions never thought we were going to get below 6000, but they now seem to all be settling somewhere between 2200 and 2750. If we were to cut through 3000, cut through 2200, drop below 2000 all at one time with no resilience whatsoever, I think that could very well be the death knell for all the alts. I think you would see them drop unbelievably and not be able to recover. And that would set us up for an ultimate wick that could get down to tones 1300 or my 1000 you know that's nickels and dimes stuff at this point but whatever it is that could set up for an immediate reversal i don't think the alts would be able to follow along behind but alternative to that i think there's also the possibility of what tone is suggesting which is we get locked into a multi-month sideways movement somewhere between 2,800 and 4,000, where you get these little spurts up, little spurts down, but it doesn't, nothing is conclusive. And every week and every month that that goes along, I think you will see the number of alternative currencies dwindling and dwindling because they simply can't continue to support their projects. You've got to pay people, you've got to pay for space, you've got to pay for marketing. And down at that level, when it becomes clear to everyone that this thing isn't going anywhere quickly, I think you can see a great diminishment of other, other projects. And in that case, you could end up with a big U-shaped bottom uh, on Bitcoin. 
Um, and but who knows? You know, we're just guessing at this point. Yeah, and th- and there's one. Well, I actually got two interesting questions. They're kind of funny, but like uh, trying. I'll, I'll ask them to you, Tyler. But try not to laugh too much. But before I say that, there is one more element to this, right? The this bear market has now lasted over a year, so it's a legitimate bear market because again, a year in Bitcoin is not a year in gold. Uh, it's not a year in the stock market. Information moves quickly. Uh, the the majority of traders trading this stuff are immature. They don't have any patience. Uh, the, the, le- the, the price swings are gigantic. Everything here happens really, really quickly. And the other aspect to this is the getting the bottom should not be easy and is not going to be easy. So every day I have to consider, am I wrong? Right? So like we're hitting, we're here speculating of when and how the bottom is going to be. And no matter how many possible scenarios Tyler and I can go through, it will probably be one we have not considered. And we need to somehow be able to spot it with TA because trust me, it's not going to be FA. <laughs> it's going to be TA. The question is, are we going to catch it with the TA tools at our disposal? Because there will always be one guy that will later come out nine months later and said, I caught it perfectly. My TA caught it at three cents off the bottom. I am the best. The problem is this guy probably has zero subscribers right now and is not saying anything, right? Because he would have been wrong a dozen times publicly prior to that statement. So the stakes are much higher for Tyler and I because we do this publicly all the time. And you have to understand that getting to the, getting the bottom, just like getting the top, is not going to be easy for us. And we're going to do the best that we can. And I know that it's going to be hard. That's what makes it, that's what makes trading hard and analysis hard. Very good points. Um, There's no way in the world if I did not know a lot about Hyperwave that I would have been able to call the top where I did, which was literally a week or two after the the top. But that is an anomaly. Um, I have another system called Consensio that would have gotten us out early, but not nearly as early as Hyperwave did. It would be more in the lines of where Tone was uh, looking at the 17,500 area. And before you could react to that and realize that that was a bull trap, uh, you're back down at 15,000. And that's where pretty much Consensio would have gotten us out on that trade. So what I'm looking at now is the opposite of that. How quickly can technical tools call a V bottom? And the answer is not quickly at all. You'll miss a very big portion of a bottom if it's a V bottom. If the bottom turns out to be a prolonged U-shaped bottom, similar to what we saw back in 2015, then almost all technical tools, momentum-driven technical tools, will get you in very close to the bottom, plus or minus. Um, 
Now, I'm banking on the fact that Bitcoin is going to do the same thing on the bottom that it did at the top, which is respect hyperwave rules, which gives me my target of 1,000. So I'm actually more excited now that more and more people are jumping on the bandwagon just short of 3,000 in the 2,500 to 2,750 region, because the more they do that, the least likely it is that that's going to occur because of what Tone just said. And therefore, I think I've still got a very strong shot at hitting 1,000. Now, at that point, what I keep trying to stress is that is not the that is not the ultimate bottom. That's simply my ultimate target. Hyperwave disappears at that point and is no longer relevant. But that doesn't mean we can't go to 900 or 800 or 600 or 500 on a spike or something even more than a spike. I'm looking at gold right now, trying to figure out how low can it actually go? What is the potential downside target? And I've got numbers down very close to $300 based on gold being part of a broken hyperwave that if it begins to accelerate down from here can really accelerate in a big way. So. I, I agree completely with you. What we're about to see is almost impossible to call, number one. Number two, any kind of specifics we can come up with probably won't be exactly what happens. All I've got to go on is uh, the tremendous number of times when a hyperwave plays itself out and does break below a phase two that it's an almost impossibility that it's not going to make it all the way back to phase one, in this case, 1,000. Uh, so maybe the one thing that'll be different this time is we're not going to make it down to 1,000. Yeah, and that's the other thing, right? Like the other thing that could be different from what we're predicting is the fact that it does reverse earlier. And that happens often because uh, so many people at this point are waiting and licking their chops to buy it at a thousand and they may not get the chance. This was my problem. I was calling for a low of 110 in the last bear market and I was calling for 110 at a $700 price. And we never made it to 110. We only made it to 150. So I never had my giant buy orders filled because, you know, I, I came up like a few percentage short. Yeah. It, 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 exactly. I love the idea of layering in around a certain zone. Um, and I'm still not sure where that is because we're still way up here over well above 3,000. But sometime, um, if and when we do break 3,000, get down to 2,800, I will begin to come up with a layered approach. Uh, that will make sure that we've got some money in at levels uh, below 3,000 all the way down with the majority of it down around the $1,000 level, which then we can change if it doesn't get that far without getting completely left behind if it reverses. All right, so I got two quick questions. One of them is gonna be very short. 
Uh, one person says, haven't we already had capitulation? The answer is, I don't think so. And my answer is absolutely not um, because we haven't had capitulation in uh, the cryptocurrencies. True, they all dropped down along with and even more than Bitcoin, but there is no bottom on Bitcoin looking at the chart we are now looking at. There is no capitulation there. Capitulation does not occur with a big candle like the one two months ago, unless that candle reverses or the very next one does. That didn't happen. We had a lower low the next month. We've got a lower low this month. Therefore, you don't have capitulation. Okay, so it looks like people don't know the definition of capitulation. Another comment just came in and says, how is a 95 or a 98% down, not capitulation with like eight question marks? And the answer is that's not the definition of capitulation. Capitulation has nothing to do with how low you are from an all time high. Capitulation has to do with the last week of a bear market that tends to mark either the ultimate price low or the ultimate volume high of a bear market where the majority of people give up. And it usually represents approximately a 50% crash in the price in a very short amount of time. Now, we've had two of these events already in the current bear market. One of them came here in the early days of January when, sorry, February, when the price fell from about uh, $12,000 down to six, that was a 50% crash within in, in a week, in about a week's time uh, or something like that. I'm looking at a monthly chart, right? So that was one. Now, the reason why this wasn't capitulation is of course hindsight. Now, had the price recovered, stabilized at 10,000 and currently was hitting all time highs, we could have said, yes, that was capitulation. When the price started to stabilize in the $7,000 range, basically closer to the low part than the high part, you can say that, hey, that wasn't capitulation because we have plenty of downside to go. Now, the second time we fell 50% in a short amount of time was last month in December, when we crashed from 6,000 down to 3,000 in a matter of a week or two. Again, you can't say that event was capitulation. But once again, we are starting to see signs that are identical to the prior time you could have said that was capitulation, where it starts to stabilize at the low and you still have plenty of room to the downside with plenty of downward targets. Now, if we get one more of these events of a 50% price crash from the $3,000 range, at that point, you can probably assume that that is the final capitulation. So it has nothing to do with how high you are from the top. It just has to do with the way markets end. And the amount of people that rage quit, give up, go bankrupt, quit their companies, quit the space, 
you know, change career paths, that is capitulation. It has nothing to do with the overall percentage down move from high to low. Did I uh, cover that okay, Tyler? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the trick there is the word percentage. Uh, percentage down from a high is a useless tool. And all those people that keep comparing what happened in 2015 and back in 2011 and 2012, using what were the percentage drops, that's a silly way of looking at it. At $3,600, we can drop 50% and still be at $1,800. At 1,800, we can drop another 50% and still be just below 1,000 at 900. From 900, we can drop another 50% and be at 450. And by the way, that $450 number, if you take a look back in 2015, the 485 down to the 250, down to the uh, spike lows around 150, that is uh, a run-up of from, um, let's call it $200 to 20,000 or 100 times. It's 10 times up to 2,000. It's another 10 times up to 20,000. That's 100 times that value. So why do you not think that something that is breaking below all kinds of support, even it hasn't been 95%, it's more like 78% from 80,000 down, it's 20,000 down to 3,600. Um, but why do you think it has to match those other numbers? It can easily be cut in half and half again. You can get four or five 50% breaks off of the top if you're just looking at percentages. I would rather look at this as a run up from these lows at two or 300 up to 20,000 and a 50% correction of that entire amount um, brings you well down into the $1,000 to $1,500 uh, area. And so I still believe that that's what the ultimate target is. All right. I really did not expect to spend this much time on Bitcoin, but we're probably not going to talk much about the short time period. Okay. So one more question. This one is just for you, Tyler. Um, is it safe to say you've been trading for over 40 years? Um, I have been in the financial markets for over 40 years and uh, I began trading for individual clients that wanted to trade. I began trading my own account and taking discretionary um, authority over other people's account that I traded for about 30 years ago. And I did it purely for big institutions 20 years ago. While I was doing that for big institutions, I couldn't speculate and I couldn't trade the way most people did. They talk about trading because I was limited to what those institutions would allow me to do. I could never short, I could never raise cash. I could never use inverse funds. I couldn't do short-term timing things. 
So uh, that gives you a, a little bit better perspective. But yeah, it's been 40 years since I've been playing this game. Right. So, so 40 years of trading experience. Now, your answer to this question could simply be uh, listening to you laugh. The problem in this space is that all analysts watch Tone Vase. Therefore, everyone is publishing FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We just need Tone to turn bullish and this market will turn around. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a big fish in a small pond problem. Tone is, in my opinion, the best short and intermediate term analyst in the crypto space. And obviously a lot of people recognize that. But that's because there aren't thousands of analysts with 20, 30 years experience in the space. And what I mean by that is to think that one person or two people or a group of people all with the same basic opinion using different technical systems has any whatsoever 1%, one half of 1% ability to move price is just ludicrous. What you have to look at is big fish in a big pond. Take a look at the new barons uh, that came out this week that interviews big fish in a big pond, uh, Abby Cohen and Black, and all of these people that have 30, 40 years experience at places like Goldman Sachs and all of the others. What they will do is they will give you their opinions on maybe eight or 10 stocks that they think look good for the next year. Now, take a look at those people, those big fish in a big pond. What I'm talking about is a big pond, meaning the largest stock market in the world, the largest financial market in the world, not the smallest. Crypto is one of the smallest in the world with very few people and very little experience. Take a look at what these big fish did last year, because I think Barron did a great job by have, holding their feet to the fire before they tell you what they're going to do this year, 2019, they showed you what they picked a year ago at the beginning of 2018. What you'll find there is down 15%, down 20%, down 40%, down 30%, down 28%, down 16%. Those are the best of the best. Now, how many people on Wall Street do you think when Abby Cohen comes out and she says, I believe this is going to happen, all rush to that side of the boat and follow Abby Cohen. The answer is almost nobody. And that is also true about the crypto space. It doesn't matter if a hundred people or a thousand people or 10,000 people follow me or 50,000 people or 80,000 people follow Tone, that does not move markets. That's like a news item. And it's already baked into the price. It's nothing new and it will not move the market in any way. 
All right. Uh, let's uh, let's change gears. I'll quickly glance at the weekly chart. Uh, the weekly chart has come down a little bit. Like I was saying yesterday, uh, the bounce yesterday's bounce was you know um, a few days late and a few hundred dollars short. Um, I didn't expect it to amount to much at this point. I hope we don't go below three thousand quickly. I still think we have some time. Um, I think that Bitcoin. Uh, it's probably going down at this point, but we can also consolidate. Uh, we can hold on to this $3,200 low for another few months without any significant upside, wait for all of the other metrics to come down uh, and then start forming yet another descending triangle. I mean, Bitcoin really isn't a bad cycle. And there, while there could be fundamental events, uh, fundamental news events, uh, or they're not really going to be news events, right? There could be large-scale fundamental economic changes that could cause Bitcoin's reversal. Uh, but we will see those reversals in the technical analysis. And we don't see any of that yet. So while rumors of Russia buying into Bitcoin and rumors of, you know, Brexit and, you know, the U.S. government shutdown clearly didn't affect anything, and uh, the stock market doesn't look like it's ready to crash anytime soon, which is what I really want to get to. Uh, the weekly chart right now looks like it wants to consolidate at the lows. And the last time we consolidated at the lows, we eventually broke down a little bit later than I expected. I thought we would start breaking down to 3000 in the summertime, uh, but that didn't happen and that got delayed. So the six months that it took to delay the drop uh, could be another six-month extension, right? So we don't know. But the weekly chart right now looks weak. And uh, next week, if you get a red two below a red one, that's probably going to be a weekly short play. Uh, anything else to add, Tyler, on weekly chart? Though I, I highly doubt it. Well, just very quickly, uh, I'm impressed with the bearish fact that after dropping from 6,000 to 3,000, you'd expect at least a 50% retracement. And we can't seem to get that. A 50% retracement basically would be back to $4,500. We got right up underneath it with a couple of wicks, but then we couldn't break through that. Normally, I would agree that you could get up to 5,000 or maybe even as high as 6,000 and still then roll over and go to the downside. At the 50% mark, if you can't even get above that, that tells me that this is even weaker than uh, I would have expected. Um, I really thought that 4,000 could hold. I was shocked that we cut right through it like a knife through butter. And now I'm not so shocked that we're having trouble getting back above that level. Uh, so. Uh, I, re I remain even short and intermediate term bearish. Yeah, and the daily looks the worst of them all. I mean, the daily is back below these prior lows of December, of late December, not uh, the ultimate lows of early December. And the CMF has been a complete and utter disaster for months. I mean, the daily CMF has been absolutely scary uh, your MACD is now below zero, trending to the downside. 
all the moving averages are above uh, the price. They're all trending down. Uh, I just see no hope looking at this daily chart at the moment. And you just, you know, wait for lower prices and wait for that final bottom at this point. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, once again, you have the 12-hour chart, which has been good to sequential system. Uh, like in the last 30 days alone, you had a beautiful indication of selling the high uh, right here on December 21st. I know there was a higher high a few days later that I thought could break out the price as a cup and handle, uh, but that didn't happen. And once again, a couple of days ago, you had an indication of a low on a nine, which led to a one to four candle correction. In this case, a two candle correction. That's within the one to four range. And now we're starting to trend back down. And the moment you fall below 3,500, I expect the drop to accelerate to the downside. Yeah, I would agree with that also. I don't really care about the four-hour chart or the one-hour chart. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, that's what happened last hour. Um, we had dropped. Yeah, and we're going back down. So that's not a good sign. And uh, here is I put all of my uh, the leverage longs and shorts. Um, look how few leverage shorts there are. And the number of leverage longs is still pretty high. Uh, that is generally an indication that uh, prices could go down and no one is really going to profit from it. Uh, this might be the Ethereum chart. Or, nope, that's the GBTC chart. The GBTC has also turned down today. Uh, the premium is back down to 16. And uh, GBTC is trading at 4.2. Here's the Ethereum chart. Ethereum had some code issues today, uh, but it doesn't seem to reflect on the price, which is very interesting to me. And it tells me something about Ethereum. It tells me that people that are speculating on the price of Ethereum uh, don't know nor care whether their code is sound or legit or anything, right? Uh, there was a big bug discovered that is holding up the release of the new code and uh, has absolutely no reflection on the price of Ethereum. Then you can also say the same thing about Bitcoin, but the big difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is that Bitcoin is a lot more liquid. Um, when it comes to uh, the speculative assets of Ethereum and all the altcoins, what's in the code really, really matters as well. And it doesn't look like Ethereum has any correlation independently to its own code. Ethereum has just a correlation to Bitcoin. And one of these days, it'll be an inverse correlation when people exit Ethereum and go back into Bitcoin. Um, oil continues to hold up. Oil pulled back uh, the other day. And, it can, and for the moment, it's being very correlated to the stock market, uh, maybe a little too correlated. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to hold my reservations on oil, I, I guess, at this point. I am looking for oil to pull back to the high 50s before turning back down and making new uh, yearly lows. Uh, here's the futures, the futures of the S&P 500. Tyler, feel free to comment on oil, by the way. Uh, no, I, I just don't like uh, 
a pattern that looks like that. Um, I agree. I, I, I agree. It's a very hard one to call. I would yeah. not be trading oil right now. I, I would only be trading oil right now as a day trader, intraday trading. I would not be trading oil and holding overnight positions. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's smart on this. I could see it going up 50% retracement, which would get you slightly into those uh, moving averages, or I could see it rolling over right here and having another big leg down. And because I, it's a coin flip for me, I, I don't take the trade. I would actually, I guess the only other thing I can try and do is, the only thing left to try is to use Fibonacci's. And uh, I'm a big fan of the 38%. So 55-55 is, uh, at this point, I would look for the 55-55 and this very likelihood of a rejection there. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. We'll leave the Fibonacci's on here for future reference. Uh, the S&P. Um, do you expect this today, Tyler? Because I didn't. I didn't think it would rally that high based on, uh, based on the TA. But it's beautiful because no matter what happens tomorrow, we get a perfected nine. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that's a dangerous place for that to happen. Tone Very and dangerous. I have both been saying that this zone between 2,600 and 2,700 or even more specifically 2,600 and 2,650 was a logical place for this move to go, and it's there now. Um, we closed slightly over the 2600 mark, and now all of a sudden we're gonna be sitting on a nine. Maybe it's just gonna be one to four pullback, but uh, what I'm afraid of is we've had some very big moves in a lot of stocks, and uh, if they run out of gas here, we can roll over in a big way to the downside. Uh, I don't want that to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. I said on the Kaiser show more than a month ago that for 2019, I thought the stock market would be up and it could be at new high, new highs. I still think that is slightly more probable than it is for it to roll over to the downside here. And I like the way that we had this V bottom, but now we're in very dangerous space. We've come into huge overhead resistance with higher and higher levels of resistance above us. So um, this is a time to be very cautious. I told most of my clients that I've gotten out of my inverse positions a while ago, but I'm still sitting on a lot of cash for my uh, the accounts that I'm managing, um, and I'm gonna stay in that cash regardless of how high this goes until we can get back up um, well into the zone above 2,700, at which point I might start looking to put that cash to work. Right, so my thoughts on this is if I was long in the S&P 500, if I was heavily long or if I had like some stocks, if I was long, if I mean, if you're long the S&P 500, you're long for two reasons. One, you never got out and you're still holding those positions. Or two, 
you're a swing trader that got in off the V-shaped bottom. And, um, oh, Leah's here. Hey, great. Hey, partner. Hey, Ty. Hey, John. How's Thor? Oh, <laughs> uh, having having a hard time. Uh, Hello, Tone. Yeah, it's a it's quite a snowstorm here. Although DC is so silly, by one day everything's melted. But yesterday was pretty. Yeah, it's actually kind of cold here in Phoenix. I'm I'm very I'm not happy. Oh, okay. Didn't mean to cut you guys off. That's okay. Hey, uh, let me finish my thoughts on the S and P 500. See if there's any cool questions, and. Uh, and maybe we'll get your thoughts on oil after. Ooh, <laughs> I heard your guys' thoughts on oil, but I do like uh, finally be contrarian with you guys. But yeah, sounds good. S&P. Okay, so, so let me say this, right? So if you're still long the S&P 500, you're long for two reasons. One, you never got out. Now, if you never got out and your time horizon is the next few years, I mean, you might as well just stay in, right? But if you are more of an active trader and you, you know, were not happy with your decisions, but you held through it and now you're rebounding to this point, or you managed to swing trade the last couple of weeks into this high, I would be looking to exit tomorrow around lunchtime. Okay. Most likely tomorrow is going to be an update. It's gonna start as an update. I would not wanna take that chance. At first sign of weakness tomorrow afternoon, I would be looking to get out because at the least, I am expecting a pullback to this green line just above 2,500 because that is a pretty damn big run up. Now, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong and we don't slow down, you have, because I'm going to actually tweet out how to play the, because I know a nine is coming tomorrow, no matter what, no matter what on a daily, the nine's coming. And this nine is definitely playable. It's playable to the short side. It's playable on a reversal after the nine. If I'm wrong and tomorrow's candle is not the short term high in the S&P that takes you back to 2,500 at approximately or even lower, then you can get back into the long trade, not the day after the nine, but the day after that, but that's a Friday and I wouldn't risk it. So I would wait till Monday. Other than that, if you really wanna play it safe, you wanna wait until it crosses 2,700. Just give up a hundred points in the S&P 500. Let it prove to you because if the S&P does make it to 2,700, then the pullback should be a beautiful pullback back to 26, this current huge line of resistance. And by then you're gonna have even moving averages helping you support that price. So um, I would give up this 2,600. It's kind of like a chess play, right? Like you're giving up a good piece knowing you have a strategy in place. I would give up my longs at 26, knowing that I can get back in above 27 for new all-time highs or on a pullback back to 26. Both of those are very likely in case you're wrong on this early safe exit.
Tyler, thoughts? I agree completely. Um, uh, if you are out of this market, I would stay out of this market. If you're in the market, either because you didn't get out or because you were lucky or skilled enough to catch that bottom, which you didn't have a lot of time to do other than it was year end and usually year end going into the first couple of weeks of January are a good time to be long the market. But regardless of why you're in it or not in it, uh, this is not the place to be going long. It's the place to either take profits or to set a strategy above those trend lines if we get up there after we run up, come back down, find support, and then now you've got a bottom above a bottom. All you need now is a top above 2,800, and you've got a top above a top, a bottom above a bottom, and you could be off to the races. But this is not the time to make that decision. And guys, remember, the last time the S&P 500 bounced off the same trend line, we went from 1,800 all the way to 2,800 and then made a slightly higher high at 29. So we went up like 33 to 40% the last time this happened. And this is what we mean. Um, how many people took this trade? And the answer is very few. And that's how markets bottom. They don't bottom in an obvious, you, you don't get like a telegraph in the morning with a 100% guarantee to get back into the market. Markets bottom in disbelief that markets should not be borrowing. I mean, the gloom and doomers were talking about the end of America, for God's sakes, over here. Like they talk about the end of America every time the market falls 15%. And, um, and the more disbelief there is, the more it can keep rising to new all-time highs while people that missed the trade scream manipulation to the upside. Yep, so, that's exactly right. But right here has nothing to do with fundamentals or government shutdown or what Trump's doing with China. All of that is irrelevant. 2,600 or just above is such a critical resistance point that it's just not worth it to risk. Agree completely. And I'll try and tweet out tomorrow as I see this nine happening, though I'm going to have another four-hour show around, around 11 a.m. So just keep an eye on the bull market tomorrow and a, a reversal somewhere between 10 and 11 a.m. Just keep an eye on that. Well, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep an eye on that myself as well if I don't forget. All right. Um, let's get Leah's thoughts on oil and then we'll go into the gold real quick and then maybe questions or call it a day. All right. And selfishly, I have questions for you guys, if I'm allowed to, uh, to throw them into the mix. Oh, so you have, so actually while we have oil up, I have a question for you guys, and this could be more of like a fireside chat and I'll throw it in, you know, Ty, I'll start with you. Uh, we've talking on our show about our thoughts about the United States dollar rally. Now, one of the charts that I've tweeted out why it's related to WTI 
is that often you have like a six month lag for how the dollar will be incorporated into, into oil. And it'll be really interesting. Um, so actually I, I do find it really important to follow the dollar when thinking about oil. Um, so Tyler, so Tone, maybe if you can throw up USD and start with you, Ty. Ty, what are you still thinking about the greenback? Yeah, I, I think um, the dollar is going to remain strong. I believe we're going to see it over 100. It's been holding 95 to 96 very well. Um, that's only a 5 or 6% move up, but I think that 5 or 6% move up can uh, be the final nail in the coffin of gold and silver. I think gold and silver are right on the verge of ending their brief rebound and are ready to head lower again. And that's mainly based on my belief about the dollar. Now, we've got a nine on the... Uh, it's a monthly, uh, Tyler, it's a monthly. Uh, uh, on the monthly, which is very interesting on the dollar. Um, And we had a nine on the weekly, and we had the brief sideways action before it turned down, and now we're on a four. I, I, I think that we're going to see gold hold the 95, excuse me, the dollar hold the 95 level, uh, and then begin heading up again, even though the Federal Reserve probably is done for quite a long time raising interest rates. It's that everybody else is cutting interest rates now that's going to give the dollar its strength. Tone, what are you saying? Thanks, Tyler. Uh, so because the monthly is on a nine, I am going uh, to say that the dollar is going to take a little bit of a breather after this big rally. Throwing Fibonacci's on here, my 38% Fibonacci line is coming in at 94, but it's a very, very frustrating uh, Fibonacci line because 94 was already support uh, on these candles. So the probability of 94 being support again is very slow. Uh, so I really think that we're going to catch a nine on, uh, on the weekly dollar. And I really want that to be above the Fibonacci line because if we get back to 38, creating this double bottom, that could spell some trouble for the dollar. So I am looking for maybe another three to four weeks of downside, maybe catch that nine around um, uh, like in the high 94 range, um, setting us up for new highs. So, and because of that, oil has a chance to go to 55, which is what we talked about being its um, oil's Fibonacci line sitting at 55. Uh, I don't like the 50% Fibonacci line being a reversal, but because the 50% Fibonacci line is coming in at approximately a moving average and at a nice round number of 60, there could be something there. But most likely, we're looking at a dollar weakness for another three to four weeks as oil goes to 55 and then it all flips. The dollar then starts its charge into new all-time highs into the end of the year as oil turns back down, and it also reverses gold. Um, 
like one of the reasons gold, uh, you know, been rallying a little bit extra, probably because of the dollar. So um, I still think this trend line is very significant. This weekly downward trend line, I still think gold is going to get rejected here. Uh, but uh, because of the dollar chart and some weakness in the dollar until Trump, you know, gets the government back to work. And uh, so that's kind of what I'm seeing. Uh, still some strength in dollar denominated assets over the next few weeks, and then it all reverses. And all of this is completely independent of the stock market. Uh, this is the other thing that like dollar, like the strength and weakness of the dollar is significantly more critical in commodity space, but it's not that critical in the stock market space because um the stock market space has a lot more speculation assigned to it. So the speculation over the future of the U.S. economy and how companies are going to perform is, while has some influence on the price of the dollar, it's infinitely smaller influence than the commodity space that's actually priced globally in U.S. dollars. Yeah, Tyler, you looked as if you were about to say something prior or just giggling in general. No, uh, I just had uh, a couple of people come in here and uh, but I was looking at that, um, the gold chart and um, I don't think it's going to break through that downtrend line. Uh, I think we're about to see. It's very interesting. The last three or four trading sessions, gold and the dollar have been moving together instead of inversely. And uh, even if um, we get a pullback in the dollar, I think we're going to see gold actually roll over here to the downside. Uh, I'm following a couple of people in Europe that have some uh, incredible work that they do on a daily basis on gold and silver prices versus the dollar. And that's the conclusion they've come to also. So all I'm saying is I think um, anyone that's in precious metals uh, on this run that we've had that has lasted since last August up to the present, I think this is a reasonable place to uh, be stepping aside. And then if we break through that downtrend line that Tone has got, uh, and we can hold it for a week or more, um, then um, I would be interested in getting back into it. I uh, am going way out on a limb here and saying, I don't believe that line is gonna get broken on a weekly closing basis. And then we are going to drop down to the intermediate trend line, which is still moving down. Yeah, and um, guys, keep in mind that uh, you could have a nice, a beautiful scenario here because look at how gold prices bottomed. They bottomed on a weekly nine. That was an insane candle. You're setting up for a potential opposite of this, right? Look at the consolidation you had on candle number seven, eight, uh, sorry, six, um, seven, eight, and then look at this craziness on candle number nine, 
And then this craziness moved from as low as 1770 all the way up to 1300. That's a pretty substantial move. You could be setting up for that again. So be very careful with gold two weeks from now when it hits your nine in the opposite direction because a candle like this, this is that capitulation candle. This candle where everyone's thrown in the towel setting up for a slingshot to the upside. You can have the opposite effect here. So, so just, just watch gold very carefully here because I think it's about to set up a bit of a bull trap right here and the sequential is helping you. It's actually telling you two weeks ahead of time to be careful with what's coming. Interesting. Um, so can I jump in and then I, I have one more question for you guys. Yes. Um, so regarding you putting me on the spot for WTI, Tyler, we have not talked about this, so please slam me because I actually think that you'd be contrarian to my views on this as well. Um, so first of all, you guys had mentioned, and I do think it looks as if oil is tracking the S&P, just as, uh, well, also what the big news was this week, and I do think following Chinese um, economy news is important. Um, so, so yes, everything is priced in, but specifically when I've been looking at WTI, it's more for those high quality midstream, as I've said, plays based on really a merger arbitrage is where I would put something, which is very different um, than I think what you're talking about right now. But right. So China, if you guys were following, they promised to slash taxes to avert their econ shutdown. Um, so I think that has priced into oil. I think that, you know, a lot of people debate this um, and there's been a lot of multivariate, you know, regression analysis on it of how oil and the, the three of us have talked about it a little bit, but how oil is correlated to GDP activity um, and also just economic recessions and how everything plays plays in. But I will say one thing, which is that I, I was playing around with some numbers and looking into it. And since November, um, WTI crude has seen six moves beyond a three standard deviation move with five lower and one higher on December 26, right? And before November, going back all the way to January, there was no moves. So I think if anything, like the volatility of oil, which surprises me that not more crypto people play around with oil because we're looking at like some of the most volatile playground in, you know, in traditional markets. Um, it's just it's just crazy right now. It's it's not standardizing, and especially since we've been talking about all this you know craziness and potential you know the frothiness in the markets, potential economic recession, um, how its ripple effects and contagion are in Asia, all over the world. I mean, I think more than anything, oil gets smashed by that. And I agree with you, Tone. I think we have a lot more potential downside to go, but I still am actually bullish for long term 2019. Period. Tyler, want to slam me? Well, no, not at all. Um, only to say that uh, the oil market makes asses out of the best experts in oil over and over and over again. T. Boone's Pickens is either completely right or completely wrong for very long periods of time. And a, a lot of the fundamental analysts, as well as technical analysts, get uh, shocked by the movement 
of oil prices. And that's because of a lot of geopolitical things that go into it that uh, very few, very, very big players can find themselves being forced by events to make very difficult decisions at exactly the wrong time. So anybody that wants to try to play in the oil market, good luck to you. Um, you can play in the oil service market and in the corporate market, oil drillers, oil explorers, where you can do your fundamental analysis. But the commodity itself is out of, first of all, it's the largest traded commodity in the world. And most people don't realize that the second most widely traded commodity in the world is not gold, it's not silver, it's coffee. And then you get down to the gold market. And just as the oil market, it's almost impossible to play, even if you're an expert right in the middle of all the fundamentals, coffee's even worse. Um, so all, all I'm saying is um, Leah could be right about 2019. And if so, then um, uh, T. Boone Pickens could be wrong. And the best oil analyst on Wall Street could be wrong. Um, and therefore, I try not to make predictions on oil. When you take a look at the run-up that we had from basically below $20 a barrel to up to 140, and then from 140 all the way back down to 28, and then from 28 all the way back up close to 100 again, and then this movement that we've just seen that came out of basically nowhere, um, it, it's just an extremely difficult market to get get any kind of uh, grips on. And uh, I, I hope my partner is correct because if we get a movement up in the price of oil, it will very probably mean global growth. And uh, if it's followed by strength in lumber and strength in steel and zinc and aluminum and copper, which have been very weak along with other commodities, mainly because of the dollar. And that could be signaling that we could get not only dollar strengths, but growth worldwide. And right now, I think it's too early to make that call. Thanks, Ty. Um, and Tone, as you already got up in our private chat, and Tyler, this was the first thing I called you about this morning. If you remember, I asked, are you having fun on the Forex market this, uh, this morning with the Sterling? And then you told me all about what potentially is happening with Brexit. So Tone, please tell us about Sterling. And last thing I could say um, about oil, Ty. So absolutely true. And that's why I think it's the craziest market in the world. My only play, and I am stating this on record, would be specifically looking at certain equities that are larger that would potentially be more ripe for M&A and looking for high quality, smaller names. And therefore, just simply playing just that short-term tick, which would use your TA um, during that bounce of during a merger at arbitrage. So just like a very, very specific niche um, of it. I just- right. I agree with that. That's the way to play the oil market. 
Yeah. And I just think with the lower and lower prices, people don't often think, but I do think that's going to be a really ripe time to for high quality buys for larger companies, which are still overproducing. And like mainly because we have so much production going through, the fundamentals look good. Everything from the fundamental side of these companies look great, yet oil looks bad. So I do think that there's like some for strong companies with a lot of cash, you have a lot of really interesting opportunities. But as we know, and what you've told me and Tone's always told me about FA is the issue is it always takes so long. So yes, for everybody out there trying to find really small plays um, will, will be tough. But I think that that's, that's a way to play it, at least on a, a really small way. Unless we went all in with billions and billions. Tyler, what do you think? <laughs> all right. What happened with Brexit? I'm done, Ty and Tone. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, I just want to mention real quick on oil. Someone asked, what's a good oil ETF? I mean, the best oil ETF you got is USO, but that's not how anyone trades oil. No one trades oil with ETFs. You will trade oil in the futures markets. Uh, in the futures markets, oil is leveraged about 100 to 1. And um, you have to know what you're doing. Like, like look, I'm, I'm sorry, BitMEX did not invent 100 to 1 leverage. The S&P 500 contract is leveraged 250 to 1. SP, I don't even use SP, I use ES, I use the minis. Let's just say 90% of professional futures traders are scared to trade the SP future and nobody does. Everyone trades the ES, the mini future, because that one is only leveraged 50 to one and not 250 to one. So those that think that Bitcoin has crazy volatility, no, there's plenty of volatility to find in traditional markets. The reason why you guys are trading crypto is because you think you understand the crypto space fundamentally better. And the answer is no, you don't. That's why you learn technicals uh, to trade with, unless you are T Boone Pickens. Um, okay, unless Tyler has anything to say to what I just said. Um, wow, I'm really tempted to just start trading uh, British pound on a five minute chart here. Wait, uh, I'm going to stop you there for a second. Noting on record that when I went to your workshop and asked you if you trade Forex or uh, just, um, uh, you said it's too boring and that's why you don't do it. So you have been caught that today is interesting. My, yeah. my call oh, to no, time. No, actually, actually I, would never, I would never trade Forex. I've never in my life traded Forex. I think the leverage on Forex is insane. Um, I, I've never traded Forex. I never wanted to trade Forex. Like if you think that uh, oil and S&P futures are, have leverage, wait till you get to the Forex market. Uh, so no, I, I will not add, that, that was a bit of a joke. I'm never actually going to trade the Forex market. It has an unreasonable amount of leverage. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm the guy that trades options at like, like, like the notion on my option spreads is ridiculous. I can leverage $100,000 into $10 million of, a, of, a, of options in leverage, but they are fully hedged. They're not directional bets. And uh, in, the, in these markets, they would be directional bets, and I'm not going to make those bets directionally. Anyway, um, let's not look at the five-minute chart. That's crazy. So what the hell happened three hours ago? Well, what basically happened is that everybody knew that Brexit was going to fail that uh, Prime Minister May's uh, plan was going to be turned down by Parliament 
And because of that, pound sterling opened this morning very, very weakly. And uh, it did fail. And it was the biggest setback in parliament in close to 100 years, the number of people that voted against the plan. Now, as soon as it was clear, everybody uh, sold the rumor and then they bought the news. And we ended up back exactly where we started the day, even though this was one of the most tumultuous days in the British pound since George Soros uh, drove well, no, 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 no. Sorry, Tyler. Since since the since the Brexit vote, that that was a crazy day. Yeah, yeah, exa exactly. But here you get a complete reversal within the day, and no answers to what's going to happen. Is she going to step down? Is there going to be a new referendum, which is possible? Sorry, Tyler, 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 Tyler. Hold on, hold on. Can we back up here? When you yeah. say the Brexit failed, what does that mean? The vote, um, the way Brexit is set up, they've only got until March the 31st to come to an agreement. So um, Prime Minister May has been going back and forth to the EU with various plans on how they were going to exit what will the agreement be between the EU and the UK, including or not including Ireland? So that's been going on for the last month and a half. And um, she brought back her plan and Parliament turned it down. She then went back to the EU and begged them to make some concessions. They did not make any concessions, so she went back and she said, "This is the oh, best deal." We, wait, 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 we got to we got to back up here. What does it mean? Parliament turned it down. They turned it down like, like she brings them a plan of how to exit the European Union. Yes, and they say we're not going to do it. So we're not going to sign it. They're not going to sign it because. Uh, but then she's going back like. So Parliament wants better conditions for the exit. So Parliament exactly. is more pro-people of the vote. That's exactly right. Oh, they, wow. They, I would have, I honestly, I would have guessed the other way, but okay, good. No, that, that's exactly right. They thought that she was giving away too much. So they wanted better terms. The EU will not budge on their terms. And now what happens is there's only another two months to go to get everything signed, sealed, and delivered, or you have what's called a hard Brexit, which means no agreement between the EU and the UK at all. They simply leave. And what that means is nobody knows what's going to happen to the currencies, if Ireland is going to be a part of uh, the deal, uh, what's going to happen to all the corporations that use EU, uh, use euros and have long-term agreements with uh, the EU, nobody knows. So it's 
squeezed and now the best thought is she is going to have to have um, a new vote, not for Brexit, but for her government. And that could occur very, very quickly because it needs to happen quickly enough that if she has to step down as prime minister, that whoever is going to take her place can build a government and get Brexit taken care of in the next two months. So it's total confusion. Okay, so I'm about to get crucified by all the European people here. So I hope they let me in the country because I'm going there in about two weeks in the region, I should say, not the country. So basically, the EU is playing with fire. And uh, they're the ones that, I mean, UK is leaving. Their people said, we want to get the hell out. We don't want you making our laws. We want to make our own laws. The parliament is clearly on the side of the people because they want you know, a clean deal. The EU is not interested in letting Britain go. And it's to their advantage to make this be as dysfunctional as possible to make the EU look bad, while in reality, sorry, to make the UK look bad. While in reality, uh, the UK is playing with fire. It's not gonna be good for them if they're not cooperating here. Uh, I would agree. Uh, in this article that I've been writing having to do with world debt and what the five solutions are and what the trigger points are, one of the trigger points is a breakup of the EU. Um, if uh, Britain gets away and there is, excuse me, the UK gets away and there are no harsh penalties then the possibility of Italy, Spain, Portugal, and others leaving the EU so that they don't have this burden of paying back all the debt uh, that they have accumulated increases the possibility of the Euro dropping sharply and the EU, EU unwinding. So it's not just the British exit or Brexit, it is how will any of the parties in the EU um, be able to negotiate and what will it look like if they negotiate with the EU? And what happens when you start losing one after another of the parties? So this is a, a huge issue and you would imagine that would have much bigger implications for the British pound and the Euro. But we just looked at a chart that showed that after this tremendous volatility in the early hours this morning, it vanished. And I just would like to make one more comment about that. If you are going to trade the Forex market, you've got to understand who the real counterparty is to your trade. It is central banks. It's not John Doe in Des Moines, Iowa, taking the other side of that trade. That currencies are controlled by central banks and by ministers of finance and US treasury secretaries. And they have all set up huge funds 
in order to control the movement of their currencies. In the United States, it was back in 1973, and it was called the Currency Stabilization Fund. And it's still around today. And what that fund is, is it's billions of dollars that the US legislature, Congress, gave to this particular fund in order to stabilize currency fluctuations against the US dollar. And almost all major developed countries have similar funds. So when you decide you want to buy or sell British pounds or Swiss francs, because you've got a technical indicator that tells you to do that, just know how many hundreds of billions of dollars are on the other side of that with people that don't care if they lose on that trade. So all I'm saying is I agree with Tone, it is a very, very dangerous market to play in. And yes, you can make money, but you better be going with the powers that be and not against them. Tone, if I could say something, I mean, absolutely. What's interesting to me is I was looking through the different probabilities and also the different um, companies and analysts. And specifically, as you know, I love my Japanese equities and, and analyst companies over there. Well, specifically Mizho, right? And just everyone's saying different things. And they are all quite confused and all the different probabilities from it seems as if there's like a 25% being the highest probability we get the second referendum to strengthen the pound to the dollar. But it, it's just like everybody's all over the place, um, which I do find, you know, pretty interesting. And, you know, also to what you're saying is just right, like, if we, you know, you were going back tone with the with the pound, and I was looking at the chart, and it's, you know, the pound has lost almost 13% against the dollar since the UK voted um, in June 2016. And just, I guess, to relate this all back to Bitcoin for a second, right? You know, I think what I started on your brief, like last year around, uh, wow, two years ago, around uh, Valentine's Day-ish, um, you know, we had a lot of news from Carney. Um, who was just super, super anti-Bitcoin. I remember covering it a lot. I remember then he was making all the statements about digital currencies, but not understanding Bitcoin and then changed his mind and everything. Um, but it seems as if obviously has a lot in his hands, which besides the bear market, he has not been talking about this stuff very much. But from Carney, um, my understanding is that, you know, it, obviously everybody knows he, um, for everybody watching though, so that I'm not being obnoxious, right? So he's the Bank of England governor. Um, that he was saying um, today that the Brexit could push officials to move policy in either direction, right? And that a no deal outcome could lead to quicker heights in an attempt to control inflation. So, I mean, they're just talking about everything. I think there's just so much FUD. To your point, Tyler, this morning when you were telling me that it will, and you are right now, impact, you know, everything potentially or, or not. It, it, this one's crazy to me on how long it's drugged out. But right now with what happened today with Theresa May, um, but it's massive macroeconomic implications as well. I guess last question, Tone, are you seeing nines or what are you thinking from a trade perspective right now, though? Uh, you know what? Like all, all these currencies right now, the pound against the dollar, the pound against the euro, the U.S. dollar against the euro, they're all just 
like there might be volatility on a daily basis, but you put the weekly chart on, there's no trend. They're just stuck. It's like US is having their problems with Trump and China. The EU is having their problems internally. And the UK is having their problems with, uh, it, it, it's, like a, it, it's like a giant like war with each other and like no one's winning. Uh, like, and they all have like independent wars within their own regions, like not literally wars where people die, but just like economic wars. I, I, I think right now, uh, everything is just like stagnated and there might be some crazy volatility based on news events on a daily basis, but I'm looking at these weekly charts and other than I expect the US dollar to break out and leave everything else in the dust, just because everything else is a hundred times more dysfunctional than America is, I don't like see any kind of a trend I can advise on. Tyler, your thoughts? I agree completely. We're in this zone um, and it's an interest rate zone, an inflation zone, a currency zone, a growth zone where um, anything can happen. Um, what people have to remember about the US dollar, the total amount of wealth in the world is $317 trillion. Of that, the US has 98 trillion of it. The number two country in the world in terms of total wealth, that's everything. That's all real estate, all corporations, all individuals, all GDP, all services, all product, all natural resources, all commodities in the ground, all everything. The number two country is China. China's got 51 trillion, one half of the US. Number three is Japan that has 23 trillion, less than one half of China. If you put all of the wealth of China and all of the wealth of Japan together, they still don't come up to the wealth of the United States. If you add the fourth country in terms of total wealth, that's Germany at 14.5 trillion, add that China and Japan together and you get up to the US. So how is it that anyone questions the strength and the power of the US economy, the US stock market, and the US dollar. Well, we're at a point right here, and Tone's exactly right, that it looks like all of these things are locked in a battle. And somebody is going to win, and it's not going to be a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth powerful country. It'll be one of those three or four. But again, remember that number two, three, and four together equal U.S. total wealth, even though the population is infinitely smaller than those three put together. Yeah. Oh, and Tyler, we can pretty much agree it's not going to be Japan. Exactly. <laughs> no offense, Leah. I know you love Japan. No, I like trading Japanese equities. I would agree with that. All right. I think maybe we need to end here to yeah. someone's comments in the live chat, though. Well, who's, um, yeah. I, so, somebody wanted me to look at Microsoft. No, that was me. 
Oh, okay. Do you <laughs> want to get over there, Microsoft? I'll say why, but also, um, no, you didn't get a tip. Um, someone's in the live chat, quote unquote, wealth is subjective. Um, yeah, but at the same time, actually, uh, you can measure it, right? So that's that's not entirely true. Not, oh, let me that. Wealth, was, wealth was subjective, but not in government statistics. Yeah, absolutely. It's the value of all assets of worth owned by a person, community, company, country. And Tyler, I think you were talking about the calculated wealth. Um, and really, by taking what? The total market value of all goods and, and intangible assets owned and then subtract all debt. I think that's pretty much all you have to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Not that it's easy. Okay, Tone, why I wanted you to do Microsoft is because it's pretty interesting today. And I think Microsoft has been killing it. Tyler, you have continually told me about how interesting Microsoft has been from a business perspective there have been. So today, so it was big news that Walmart actually parted with CVS. So this is all about retail drug businesses in the States. And that was over pricing and fees. They're just like really upset at each other. Um, so, and that had 93 million like consumers in the CVS Caremark, okay, prescription drug network. So what happened is Microsoft actually joined forces with Walgreens to now create, which they haven't even explained yet, but quote unquote, digital health corners. Um, and they hope that will even go up against Amazon. So anyways, a lot of kind of interesting moves that they're trying to make. So what do you think? Mio Tyler, me, right? Okay. Yeah. Tone first, Tyler next, and then we all, all right. go get dinner. All right. Um, so from a, from a TA perspective, you had a price flip two candles ago. But this is not indicative of the overall market. If you saw the S&P, uh, the S&P is on an eight daily, which made yesterday a seven. When we look at Microsoft, you can see that Microsoft's count has broken. So you have to realize that I would follow the overall S&P 500. And the other stock that I glanced at because I saw it in our chat was Twitter. And you can see that Twitter did not break the count. And it pulled back and it did give you the seven and now it gave you the eight. So Microsoft, like a lot of other stocks, is coming into this resistance cluster that worried me and Tyler and, every, and anyone else looking at this stuff. Like, look, as I go through them, Amazon, go, uh, actually Amazon wasn't that bad. Uh, but uh, like in Google, oh yeah, we're breaking above these resistance points. And, uh, ooh, Apple's still in trouble. Netflix had earnings or going to have earnings. Ooh, I would be out of Netflix right now. Wow, Netflix is on a tear. But um, yeah, so uh, Microsoft is following the overall stock market and it's coming into this resistance cluster. And tomorrow is a nine on the S&P 500 and on many stocks because it's a nine on the S&P, it's gonna be a nine on many stocks. So I would be really careful here from a TA perspective. Microsoft is telling you, hey, you just caught a good day. Tomorrow you may want to get out. So from a TA perspective, uh, Microsoft looks like it's ready to roll over. But you know, when you look at the overall stock, again, it's at this critical juncture right here. Look at these long-term moving averages of 50 and 200, getting ready to cross over unless the price can quickly go straight up and then you can potentially prevent a moving average crossover on a daily chart. So uh, it's, it's a strong rebound that you should exit and wait for Microsoft to go above 110 
uh, and then have confidence that it's going to go to new all-time highs. So Microsoft has done very well. And um, compared to Apple lately, which has not done very well, right? So, but when it comes to Apple, uh, man, I think Apple, uh, wow, look at that. And there was that a nine up there? Oh, Jesus. That would have been nice to time. Beautiful nine right there at the top, literally right at the top. This is the daily chart of Apple. And you can see a very critical prior swing high. Uh, and at this point, we can actually say that uh, Apple has pulled back within marginal distance of that high. Uh, what did it lose by? Uh, we fell, that's at 130 and it fell to about 140. So it came within $10 off of that. Would have been nice to actually hit it. I can also raise it to the top of the candle. I can also raise the line to the top of the candle. I'm being blocked, which is reasonable. And that gets us even closer. So, but in Microsoft, we don't have that. Man, Microsoft has just been steady as she goes. And Microsoft, if you consider a similar top, was here. And it already reached it. So I think Microsoft is way more primed for new all-time highs than Apple is. And um, I really think people are going to stop overpaying for Apple phones at this point. Like, I, I, I really don't understand how so many people still use Apple. And um, um, I, I, yeah, Apple is in, you can see the charts. Uh, now, I think Apple can rebound, but I honestly think that it, will be very difficult for Apple to reach new all-time highs. Uh, but Microsoft's still doing okay, and Tesla's doing great. Tesla's now in China. Apple just released their uh, built-in battery phone, and Microsoft kills it. Tyler, are either three in a hyperwave, and what are you thinking? And then- I think, I think, Amazon, is in a, I think Amazon is in a little bit of trouble, too. Yeah I, yeah, I agree. If you take a look at the- Consensio, the, the moving averages on Apple and Amazon, uh, it looks really bad. Whereas on Microsoft and uh, some of the others, um, here on Apple, you've got a death cross. You've got the long-term moving down. Uh, that's going to be really hard to overcome. Whereas on Microsoft, it's a 50-50 proposition. Is it going to be able to break to the upside out of where it is right now? Um, I'd put it at, you know, 80, 20 against Apple being able to do it and better than 50, 50 that Microsoft can do it. Um, Facebook, uh, is in a full downswing. Also, it had its death cross before, uh, Google same way. It's, it's really amazing. And the question is, can the stock market go up with, 10 of these uh, big drivers for the last 10 years going the other way? The answer is yes, of course they can. Uh, but is it probable that they're going to? Uh, I don't know. Maybe if you can get the economy going without uh, drivers like the 10 or 15 big stocks that have driven this up because they were up 100% 
200% more than the overall market. Without that, the market still would have been up. It simply wouldn't have been up nearly as much as it was. And therefore, it could go up from here, even without the participation of these. Now, I doubt if all of these that we're looking at can go down if the market is going up. But they don't need to. If they just uh, consolidate for the next year or two uh, where they are sitting right now and the rest of the market moves ahead, other areas move ahead, then the market can go to all new, new time highs. But um, you, we can't tell any of those conclusions from these charts. We're at a critical turning point where we've broken down everything. We went to new lows in almost all sectors of the market. We actually entered a bear market as measured by 20% in a number of sectors. And now we've had a four week bounce and that bounce has not gone far enough up to tell us we're out of the woods. Therefore, be patient and wait for the evidence one way or the other. Thanks, Ty. All right, gentlemen, I have to run. Uh, one last note on Microsoft. I just think they've been brilliant. If you remember, Tony, we covered it in the brief because they bought GitHub. Everybody was up in arms in the crypto community, maybe still. But that and the big news about also Microsoft beyond this, uh, which I just find what they're doing with retail drugs, is that they're set to buy LinkedIn, which would be their biggest acquisition to date. Which oh, no, they bought LinkedIn a while ago. Did they already buy it? Yeah, they bought it like two years ago. LinkedIn stock hasn't existed in like two years. I don't think LinkedIn was ever public. Yeah, no, they bought it. They bought it. Stock was uh, stock stopped trading years ago, like two years oh. ago. Okay. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, you're right. You're right. It's LinkedIn yep. subsidiary. You're correct. You're correct. Yep. I, used okay. to, I, used to, I, I used to trade it. Interesting. All right. Well, on uh, a low note, I will leave. Bye, guys. <laughs> bye, Leah. See you guys yeah, in Vegas. Bye. Thanks, Tone. All right. Bye, guys. Yeah, I just want to uh, promote the conference one last time before we head off. Uh, check us out in Vegas in about 10 days. Uh, me, Tyler, Leah, lots of others will be playing the poker game, which is completely sold out and is on a wait list. Carnivory Dinner is sold out and has a just wait about. list. Uh, but the conference still has tickets. So please come out and support. Uh, 0.1 Bitcoin is not a lot these days and the price is dropping. Uh, come on out. It will be a lot of fun and it will be uh, a week from Saturday. Okay. Hopefully I'll see a bunch of you there. And if you are already signed up for one of my workshops, uh, I wonder what uh, it's going to take me there. Okay. If you are signed up for one of my workshops, we will email you uh, tomorrow or the next day and let you know when the webinar is going to take place for the introduction to trading, because I want to start these workshops with more advanced sections of TD Sequential and focus a little more on that particular indicator. All right, guys, uh, once again, Tyler and Lucid, uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Leah, for coming in and uh, much longer stream than expected, but uh, hopefully it was very educational. I think I did about six hours of streaming today and uh, now I gotta actually start some work. Uh, so uh, Tyler, thanks for joining me. Great. Good to see you. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye, guys.